Hi everyone and welcome back to another Parliamental. We're here in Anne's living room. We couldn't stay away from the iron board for too long. <laughs> how are you doing, Anne? Yeah, I'm good. How are you, Jerry? I'm doing good. It's, it's nice to be sitting down in a nice wee quiet space instead of next to a dodgy black curtain at the back of an event. <laughs> right, and Parliament's been in recess for about a week, I think. Is that right? No, a couple of days. A couple of days, okay. <laughs> but it doesn't mean a holiday for you. But Definitely anyway, before not. we talk about that, what was your highlight from conference? That was the last time we spoke. What was the big thing for you? Um, my highlight, actually, and I'm not just saying this, Jerry, was us doing Parliamental from conference. <laughs> I really enjoyed That's, doing that. Didn't expect that one. <laughs> I liked Nicola's speech. Uh, no, actually, I loved Nicola's speech. It was really good. Um, and just basically seeing loads and loads of people that I haven't seen for ages. But for me, conference was better years ago when there were less people because you could always meet your friends now you know somebody was saying to me oh I only went to conference for one day and I'm feeling really guilty and I was saying who's going to know because there are thousands of people there so you know you don't see everyone but yeah it was good it was a real good buzz but yes my highlight was definitely doing parliamental. I know what you mean it's the second conference I've been to I've only been to two conferences both in the SECC and it felt like an SECC gig (laughs) <laughs> thousands of people everywhere you looked, loads of lanyards, yeah. and it just stuck with the proven kind of mob. And yeah. I've also found it interesting for me, it was the first time I've done a lot of hanging about at a conference. Last time yeah. I was at a conference, I kind of sat in the chair, went for lunch, came back. But this time it was interesting to kind of be out and about and recording folk and, and meeting different people. So it was really interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, it is, it is in that respect. There's so many folk around and it does create an amazing buzz. Um, but for, for uh, you know, old timers like me, in the sense of having been yeah, in the yeah, SNP yeah. for a long time, um, it's confusing because I can't find people because there's so many other people. But it was fun. You spoke in a debate on the investigatory powers bill, if I can say that right, investigatory powers bill, <laughs> and you had an article in the National about it. Um, so, like, just what is the bill? It's basically, I mean, what it's doing is bringing together a lot of different pieces of legislation. So it's important to do that so that it's very clear what you're doing. Um, and but it's just that the way they've done it, they've done it so quickly. There's not been enough time for, you know, parliamentary scrutiny. Now they've gone into committee stage, and that's two full days a week. We've got two members on that committee, and it's for the next six weeks. But it's not. It's really not enough time. I mean, basically. It's going to, there's a number of issues with it and it would take up the whole podcast to to go over them. But some of the things that really concern me are that um, it's going to give them the power to do mass surveillance. So, for instance, instead of getting uh, permission to follow uh, Jerry Maguire or read Jerry Maguire's um, emails, they could get permission, in theory, to read the emails uh, or to, you know, sur- follow in, in, in that, not necessarily in the physical sense of the word. Capture. But, uh, yeah. Um, everyone who is a member of the SNP or everyone who is a member of Proven SNP or whatever, mm-hmm. rather than an individual. So you don't have to also build into the legislation. You don't have to, they don't have to have good reason to believe that you're acting against the national interest in order to do that and my one of my fears about that apart from the civil liberties aspect obviously one of my fears about that is if they're spending all the time doing this mass surveillance where's the targeted approach and it's a targeted approach that's going to stop it's going to intercept you know real threats another big problem i have with it is that one of the criteria for putting somebody under surveillance is that if you believe that they are a threat to the economic growth of Britain. Now, that's not the exact wording, but it's something along those Broadening lines. Broadening the definition of what threat could mean. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I would argue that, that uh, Trident should go and I will campaign against Trident. But those that support Trident sometimes support it because they believe it, it plays a part in economic growth in that a lot of people are employed by that industry. But in theory, they could argue that somebody campaigning against Trident was going against the interests of economic growth in this country. Who makes that decision? Who decides? You know, And also trade unions will be at risk. And I do feel there's going to be a massive uh, infringement of civil liberties on a scale that we've never seen before and it does concern me but the committee stage is the opportunity to really you know get into that and we've got two fantastic people on the committee we've got gavin newlands one of the paisley mps and um, i've been on committee with gavin before and he is exceptional at getting into the detail of things and uh, joanna cherry who is already a qc and an eminent qc and now she's our justice and home affairs shadow and um, she'll let nothing go you know unquestioned and we just need to see what we can persuade them to concede at committee stage but I'm not I'm not overly hopeful. Whenever we talk about investigatory powers for for terrorism it all seems to be really broad and Mm. it seems like you're saying you can just nominate a group of people because their campaigning or activity could harm economic interests. It seems yeah. really it used to be life and limb. You know, it was it was physical yeah. danger. It was, but you can make any economic argument that if someone wants yeah. to protest tendering of care contracts in the council, that that could be an economic harm to the country. So, it's or independence for Scotland. Now, don't tell me, and I think I said this in the speech. Don't tell me that those unionists down south who fought tooth and nail to keep Scotland in the union. Don't tell me that they didn't think if we left it would damage their economy. I mean, obviously that's not the purpose for us and we wouldn't want to do that, but they obviously feared it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have fought so hard to keep Scotland in the union. So again, those of us supporting campaigning for independence are we a threat. But the biggest issue I have is that most of these big terrorist atrocities that occur, it the people that you discover committed those atrocities were already known to the security services. So therefore, I would say that surely we should continue the targeted approach rather than the mass surveillance, because if if we've only got a limited number of people working in these security services, if they're spending their time sort of, you know, going after 2,000 people when they could focus on 20, then, you know, they're going to miss things. Mm-hmm. And that's me simplifying it greatly, but that, for me, is what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. I think in America, um, since... Uh 9-11, there's, I think there's a massive increase. There's 100,000, 500,000 people, I think, with like um, various levels of clearance. People that would have previously been analysts. And like you're saying, a couple of thousand folk, a couple hundred thousand people whose job it is is to troll information. So mm. if you cast the net wide, mm. you get a lot of stuff back and you have to mm. filter through it. So like you're saying, you yeah. end up with a lot more noise. And I mean, we're, we're not security experts, but it, it makes sense, doesn't it? That if, you've, if you know people and you can target people and chase them people you think are up to something, exactly. then why, why gather a lot of extra information? And we're not security experts, but we do get advice from security experts. And we do understand, you know, the simple, the simplified arguments. And that makes sense. And also on the United States, my understanding is that they're pulling back from that mass surveillance now because it's not making any difference, but it is costing a lot more to do it. Mm-hmm. You also asked a question in Parliament about the Yazidi children. I don't know much about it. And so, like, mm-hmm. who are the Yazidis? Like, what's, what's their situation? 
So the Yazidi children are, um, basically what's happened to them is Daesh are taking them into camps. They are turning little girls into sex slaves and little boys into child soldiers, against obviously against their will. Um, and the aid that's supposed to reach them, the reports coming back from Turkey are that the aid is not getting to them. And, you know, the support to get them out of these situations is not happening. I was really surprised, though, because I asked a question. I was asked by an organisation that I met in Westminster if I would ask about this, and I asked about it. A very genuine question and not allocating blame at all. And so what happens is your question is written down if you're selected. So the minister that was answering, can't remember his name, he, um, I stand up and say question number four, Mr. Speaker, and then the minister responds to whatever the question is as it's written down. And um, he uh, answered it as though he was answering some other question. And I thought, oh, that's a shame. He has answered the wrong question. But nonetheless, I'll just carry on. I won't point that out to him. So then I asked my further supplementary. And I spoke, as I just have, about young girls being used as sex slaves and boys being used as soldiers. And um, wow, I was surprised by the defensive and dismissive way in which he responded. And then my colleague, um, Margaret Ferrier, uh, asked further and I can't remember somebody else said you've not actually answered that question and we just want you to know that money is being sent from here and it's not reaching them and we're not helping them yeah and what can you do about it and he got even more defensive and even angry and he said and at some stage um you know you're gonna have to realize it's not the fault of MPs you know basically he was saying it's Daesh that are doing this not the MPs nobody was suggesting that we were saying how can we work to help these children, basically. And I was really quite shocked. And um, had I had time, I was going to write to him and say, look, you know, I thought the way you answered that. I actually did consider raising a point of order because he wasn't answering the question and he was coming from a premise that we were blaming him, which, yeah. wow. It, I mean, it's a very different point. You're not saying that you're not helping because you're saying mm, you are providing yeah. money or aid or whatever. Yep. But it's just not getting through. That's mm. a different. You're not laying a glove on him, really. You're not no. saying, "Look, mate, get your checkbook out, sort this out." You're saying you're getting your checkbook out, but we need to follow through on it. I was genuinely hoping that he would um, say because with a lot of these things, a lot of these questions that are to the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, it's not about you're doing this, that, and the next. Now, of course, most of the time it's about other people doing something, and how can we stop it? So it wasn't it wasn't uh, accusatory in any way. So. Completely unsatisfactory answer, and uh, but I'm going to be meeting again with uh, with some of these people that are fighting for the Yazidi people, so we'll see what happens. The leaders' debate was this week. Um, I have to confess, I, d I didn't watch it on the night, and I couldn't watch it in iPlayer. I heard Willie Rennie talk for two minutes, and I nearly threw myself out a window. It just seems so boring. <laughs> but um, thankfully, someone on YouTube, whoever you are, thank you, made a 20-minute cut of oh. just Kezia Dugdale and Nicola Sturgeon. Basically, the important bits. I'll need to watch that. <laughs> so that was really worthwhile. <laughs> A tiny clip from Ruth Davidson did make it into that YouTube clip, though, so I was kind of shocked. But <laughs> in it, she was talking about how Labour hadn't laid a finger on the Tories, so and how they wanted to be the opposition in Scotland. What do you think the Tories' chances are in Scotland coming up in the next election? Oh, uh, do you know, if the Tories come second, I will never forgive the Labour Party, basically. Um, I, I think, you know, I tweeted the other day that, and I've said this for a long time, that we have to stop treating the Tories in Scotland 
like your embarrassing auntie or uncle that comes out at Christmas, gets drunk and says all sorts of dodgy things, but they're harmless yeah. really, so you don't really say anything to them. Just the reason the Tories seem more harmless in Scotland is because they don't have any power in Scotland. And we must make sure it stays that way. We mustn't allow them to to you know make any progress. That said, I couldn't in all conscience say um, that that Labour are any better in terms of who we have from Labour at the moment. You need strong opposition, but the last thing you want is um, the Tories to get into opposition because once you're in opposition, that's you on your way to winning at some stage and we can never, ever allow that to happen in this country. I think it was John Swinney said at the conference that it's not our fault that the other parties are rubbish, basically. And it's not our exactly. fault that Labour can't get their finger out. Exactly. Um, and that's what I mean by I'll never forgive them if if they allow the Tories to get into second place. Mm. But and the thing as well about the, the Tories, but we talk about them, it's not necessarily that they're becoming more effective. It's that Labour are becoming less effective. No. So, I mean, the, the Tories have... Ruth Davidson's got a high profile in, in the media. She's always been interviewed for stuff. So they've got a platform just now. They might not have a, a huge voting block in the Scottish Parliament, but they've got a platform and they've not really made a dent so far. No. And also, you know, the way the media in Scotland treat Ruth Davidson, she's, you know, she's likeable. They portray her as likeable and friendly and one of us. Start asking her. Start asking her about what her colleagues in her party are doing to people with disabilities, are doing to people struggling to find work. Uh, start asking her about the rise in food banks, you know, and it's all caused by Tory cuts that she supports. And just because she's got a nice smile and a friendly demeanour doesn't mean she doesn't support absolutely everything that they do. She is every bit as dangerous as them. It's just that we don't allow her to get anywhere near the levers of power, and we need to keep it that way. I mean, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, Kezia Dugdale, they're always banging on about uh, the social economic issues and the cuts and how we're going to deal with austerity. And Ruth Davidson never brings it up and has never pressed on it. No, that's it. She's allowed to get away with it. That's what I mean, though. The press treat Ruth Davidson in the same way that we all do. And I have to say, I was guilty of this myself. When I was an MSP in the Scottish Parliament, I was there from 2009 to 2011. I thought the Tories were, some of them were nice people, I thought. But I did really soon realise that actually I think of them the same way I think about my auntie, won't say the name. It's not anyone that's going to be listening to this podcast. Um, but my auntie that, you know, she's part of my family, but oh man, her views are really dodgy. And I was thinking of them in the same way, quite fondly. And then I thought, hang on a minute, you know, what are their policies? What would they do? Let's imagine the Scottish Tories were running the Scottish Parliament. Do you think they would do anything any differently to what they do down south? No. No. Yeah. And the Scottish media are always talking about whether they're, they're, they're not very pro-SNP, but they're always banging on about the Tory government. So Scottish newspapers are always talking about this. Is look at, you look at Ian Duncan Smith's done, look at this, look at that, it's mm -hmm. terrible. But they never then attach it to Ruth Davidson. Mm -hmm. It's never then, what does Ruth think about this? Because mm -hmm. if that happened, she would either have to split from her, her, her London office, mm -hmm. which isn't going to happen, or support it. Yeah. And at that point, she's not happy, cheery Ruth anymore. She's suddenly mm. someone who's actually, like you're saying, support really dodgy policies. Yes. They've got zero popularity in Scotland. And yes. people want to be like, why is she on TV? Like, why are we mm. talking to this woman when no one supports what she stands exactly. for? Exactly, exactly. So there you go, media. Do your job. Come on. 
understand Ruth is every bit as bad as every one of them in the cabinet in the Conservative government. You don't have to stick the boot in, just start asking those questions mm -hmm. that you seem that you know that nobody in Scotland is happy with. Mm. Start asking her what she thinks about it. Yeah. Also, that debate took place on what would have been our Independence Day. So wipe, yeah. wipe, wipe away a tear here. Hang on. <laughs> Um, did you do anything to mark the day did we, or did it just happen and it was over with? I think I was in, uh, was that Thursday? Yeah. yeah. So I was in Westminster that day. Um, no, do you know what? I mean, even the day after the referendum when we lost, I was obviously, you know, I mean, I'd been campaigning for 27 years for independence, but I'm, the SNP has made me very pragmatic. I've been through so many defeats and so many times when we've within 24 hours had to pick ourselves up and just keep our eye on what our goal is and the SNP has made me that kind of person but I did think well you know it was all about independence come the referendum if we don't win that'll floor me and that'll finish me politically I'll you know but it didn't happen um and the you know that day last week well, it was sad, but it wasn't any sadder than any other day. The only thing I noted was when Nicola had announced that it would be, was it 24th, 24th of March mm -hmm. 2016, I did note that was going to be uh, 16 days after my big birthday. Your big birthday. <laughs> and I thought, well, that big birthday won't seem so painful because <laughs> a couple of weeks later I'll be celebrating my country being normal like any other country mm -hmm. in the world. So uh, I had that to soften the blow. So that was the only thing I noted. You know, everything's changed since the referendum and changed in a positive way. And we're going to be independent and it won't be that long away. So it wasn't that depressing a day for me. I saw on Twitter, and that you attended an event in Parliament about pregnant detainees. Mm. Um, you've mentioned detention a few times in the podcast before, but I just want to know like, who organised the event, what was it for, and what was the outcome? Do you know what? When I was at the event, I couldn't, rem I couldn't uh, remember who it was that was organising it, but it was an organisation called Women for Women Refugees, so perhaps it was them. <laughs> but there's a number of different organisations get together and collaborate on these things. Uh, there was a report done by Stephen Shaw, who was the former prisons and probation ombudsman for England and Wales. And this report that he did looked at um, immigration detention for vulnerable people. And one of the uh, biggest findings was how damaging it was uh, for pregnant women to be detained. So damaging to them and damaging to the baby. Um, and uh, so, I mean, his recommendation was that pregnant women should not be detained. And largely it has stopped, but it still does happen. And you've got to remember, these people are not being detained because they've committed a crime. These people are being detained because they are at a stage in their application to live in this country where they have been turned down. But the other thing you need to remember about that is the initial... Um, response that the most, and we're not just talking about asylum seekers, but let's look at asylum seekers. The initial response that asylum seekers get when they're told no initially by the Home Office, more than 50% of those are overturned when they're looked at by the tribunal. So these are not people who are necessarily not entitled 
to have asylum in this country. They just have been turned down at some mm-hmm. stage. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, so it was um, it was just hearing from human rights activists and and women who'd been detained and de- detained while pregnant. Talking about refugees, um, you've got a really interesting trip to France coming up yeah. in, in, the, in the next week or so. You talked about it briefly in the last podcast. Um, can you just remind us what it is, what you're doing? Right, so tomorrow morning I'm leaving Glasgow at 6 o'clock. That'll be Monday, Easter Monday. I'm leaving Glasgow at 6 o'clock to travel over with a delegation of people to Cali. Um, there's uh, four MPs, so four SNP MPs. So there's myself, Joanna Cherry, uh, Stuart MacDonald, who's our immigration spokesperson, and Angela Crawley, who's our spokesperson for women, children and equalities. And we're going over with a variety of people, uh, academics, um, psychologists um, who have expertise in the area of um, refugees and also to refugees, former refugees themselves uh, from Glasgow, including Amal, if you remember the Glasgow girls. She was one of the leading Glasgow girls that stopped her friends, stopped Don Raids, basically. Unfortunately, they've started again recently, but um, they ran a big high-profile campaign. Anyway, so we're going over to Cali and Dunkirk, um, but we're not just going for a, a couple of hours, which is... Um, a photo I, call, basically, if you go for a few hours, you're yeah. there, you see a few things and you leave. Yes, we're going for four days and we're going to spend two full days um, in the camps uh, doing whatever they need us to do. So we'll be working in the kitchens, we'll be working out with uh, the refugees themselves, we'll be speaking to the refugees, we'll have interpreters with us. It, the thing is called bearing witness, um, and apparently it gives you a much fuller experience and a m- much greater understanding. I've got an article that I'm putting up on my Huffington Post blog today about my real trepidation about it. Um, and I'm just I'm just a massive, oh, I don't know, conflicting emotions. I really, really want to go, but I really don't want to yeah. go. And I think I don't probably don't need to explain that to mm-hmm. anyone. But I'm, you know, I know that I'm going to feel incredible guilt because I'm there. Then I'm gone again, and you know, I'm leaving people for indefinite periods of time, living in what I understand are pretty horrendous conditions. And I, I, I you know, part of me wants to pretend it's not happening. And right now, I can sleep at night, and I can, I don't think about it every day. I'm not sure that's going to be possible once I've been there. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm slightly worried about it, but I think it's really important to do it. I think it's really super important to do it. Um, and then, but then I've got the frustration of knowing that I can do it. I can really increase my understanding. I can then tell people about it, as we all will. But will it change anything for anybody? Is that something have you have you guys got a plan for when you come back about your findings? Are you going to write a report? Or are you going to table an EDM or something, you start to discuss what you're going to do after? No, I think, um, I mean, I'm by nature a writer. I I have always had blogs. I just haven't had time to blog recently. But I always I had a blog under the name Indigal. And, uh, and, you know, so I like to write to pass on information and to sort of, you know, process my thoughts. I think we'll all write for uh, whatever newspapers will listen and we'll all use it in terms of the questions that we'll ask. Well, for instance, on the Monday after recess, it's home office questions. And I think four SNP MPs have got questions that will allow us to come in and talk about this. 
um, the academics and the uh, the other people who are going will undoubtedly be writing about their experiences. I think, you know, it's not something we're in a mad rush to do, you know, we just need to process how we feel about it and then see what we're going to do about it. Now, avid listeners from the show might have heard a lack of a little a little bell running about the background, yeah. the little, the, the pad of tiny feet, yeah. and um, Tinkerbell isn't here, Anne. <laughs> oh I'm, no, I'm that gutted. was me. You opened the door, I thought, oh, Tinkerbell, no, she's not here. So where is she? <laughs> She's not. She's not playing on a farm. She's not like miles away. She's no. obviously just having fun. She's in Tollcross in Glasgow. She's fallen out with me. Basically, uh, because uh, I don't have uh, my usual cat sitter, i.e., Graham, to um, look after Tinkerbell while I'm in London, she went to Auntie Annette's in Tollcross, and she doesn't like going in the basket. She wouldn't get in the basket for me. Normally, I'm the one that can get her in the basket because I'm just quite firm with her and plonking in it. Oh, she went off her head. So I just said to her, look, Tinkerbell, you know, if you're not going to come with me, you're going to be on your own for four days. Annette will come in and feed you, but you'll be on your own the rest of the time. Tinkerbell said, fine, leave me. So I did. Annette had other plans and just lifted her and plonked her in the basket, took her to hers. So when I went to get Tinkerbell on Friday morning when I got back, um, she just, uh, she saw me, took one look at me, bolted, and we couldn't find her. She's got new <laughs> hiding places, and she wouldn't come with me. Yesterday, I went over to see her, and she spoke to me, but um, then she cleared off again. And You're in the bad books, then? I'm in the bad books. She didn't want to go in the basket. So as Annette was going to get her back tonight anyway, because I'm going to Cali, um, we've just left her there. But listen, Tinkerbell, if you're listening to this podcast... I am coming for you next Friday, and like it or not, you are coming home. Okay. <laughs> um, now I know you're a wee bit you're a wee bit down because you know you're, you're not got Tinkerbell here at the minute. But oh. when I came in, you were a bit hyper. You've just come off a Skype call with your niece. Do you oh, want to yeah. tell us what's happening with your niece? Yes. Well, see, Christy, my favourite niece, only niece, but fa- you would be my favourite anyway, Christy. Christy is out in Taiwan for a year. And she's just told us she's had the opportunity to stay on. And um, so I thought, oh, I'm not going to see her. And uh, her Skype has not been working, but she got it fixed. So I managed to Skype with her for an hour this morning. And it was so lovely to see her lovely face and to hear her chat. And it was just so nice to see her wee smile and catch up with her. So we've arranged to Skype again next week when I come back. So, yeah, I'm very happy. She's doing really well out in Taiwan. And... um, I wish she would just come home and live here, but uh, no, I don't. I don't. I think it's great that she's on her adventures, but it is nice to talk to her, so I was very happy. And that's us at the end of another episode of Parliamental. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can contact us on Twitter at Parliamental Pod, on Facebook, search for Parliamental, and via email at parliamentalpodcast at gmail.com. Um, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show. Anne and I will be back in a fortnight with another episode. Is that right, Anne? Yes, we will. You're looking forward to it. So thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.